0: hello and welcome to step into light i'm michelle jones and i am excited to be here with you today we are going to be covering chapters 11 through 17 in the book of mosiah which is found in the book of mormon this week for our come follow me scripture study and as we start into these scriptures i'm just going to jump right in we have mormon here at the start of chapter 11 and he's really laying the foundation for us to help us to see and understand the kind of the environment, what is the whole culture that is happening here with this people at this time, um, and how the kingdom has shifted since we uh, are picking up in our reading from Zenith being the king in the previous section. And what we're gonna find here is that Zenith is leading the kingdom in a very different way than his father Zenith did. Um, We see in chapter one that Noah began to reign in his stead and did cause his people to commit sin. So he was walking after the desires of his own heart. He was not keeping the commandments of God. And unlike King Benjamin, who we learned from just a couple weeks ago, Um, King Noah was not interested in working, but he was really interested in having some nice things. And so he laid a heavy tax on his people. The interesting thing also in verse five that we see that he did here is that he took all of the priests that had been set up to be the religious leaders for the community. And he took them all out and he consecrated new ones in their stead. So that, they would be that, so that he would really be surrounded by people who would support him and be like-minded in him. So he picked priests who would not like inconveniently let him know that the things that he were doing were not the things of God. We see in verse um, 14 after he's described this. So, you know, so far we've had 13 verses of describing Noah and his sort of the way that he is approaching this responsibility of being a king in verse 14, and it came to pass that he placed his heart upon riches and spent his time in riotous living with his wives and his concubines. And so did also his priests spend time with harlots. And we see he also um, began to make wine. And so this is kind of the foundation of what we have in the leadership of these people at this time. Now, if we remember, this is the group of people that split off from the main body of the Nephites, and they went back to the original land of the Promised Land where they first came. They negotiated with the Lamanites. And so they're they're really kind of in the middle of this Lamanite territory. And in his laziness and in many ways, disregard for just being aware of his people, the Lamanites started coming in and pestering. So They would come in and steal things and kill the flocks and take them out. And these little skirmishes with the Lamanites, the Lamanites were being successful. King Noah was not sending in enough help, Um, but we see that eventually in verse 18, King Noah sent his armies to drive back these Lamanites. And in verse 19, because of this great victory, they, King Noah, the people, the soldiers, they were lifted up in the pride of their hearts and they did boast in their own strength. So again, another big contrast from how we see Zenith responding to the Lamanites when the, these battles would come. And if we remember from last week, Zenith would really reach toward um, the Lord and put his trust in him to protect them and keep them safe. And that is not the environment that we're seeing here. So the Lord in his goodness sends a prophet. He sends a prophet to redeem his people and to testify of truth. And so we first are introduced to Abinadi in chapter 11, verse 20. And Abinadi is um, directed by the Lord that he needs to come and share these things. And he says um, that the Lord said to him, um, starting in verse twenty, go forth and say unto this people, except they repent and turn to the Lord their God, behold, I will deliver them into the hands of their enemies. And in verse twenty-three, except this people repent and turn unto the Lord their God, they shall be brought into bondage, and none shall deliver them except it be the Lord. And he also said some things about King Noah that he was um, that his life was not going to be of value, and at unsurprisingly, these people who had gotten very comfortable with their lifestyle, they were not happy with this. We see in verse 26, um, that when Abinadi spoke these words, the people were wroth, they were angry with him and sought to take away his life, but the Lord delivered him. And so in verse 27, we see King Noah sort of, um, looking at this situation in disbelief. Like who is speaking against me? Who do you think you are is what this mindset is as far as how I'm reading it. So in verse 27, he says, who is Abinadi that I and my people should be judged of him? Or who is the Lord that shall bring upon my people such great affliction? And that really speaks, I think, to the mindset that Noah has at this time that It's one thing to say, who is this man and what are his qualifications here? But it's a whole nother thing to then become, come to the place where you don't, you're not even able to recognize the place that the Lord has in your life. And that he does have that following the Lord is exactly the path that we should be on. And to say something like, who is the Lord that he should do this? To me, I I just wrote the word, wow, like... Wow, I am, I cannot even imagine saying or thinking those things. But this, again, I think speaks to the mindset and the background of how this possibly could have unfolded at this time. So we see that in verse 29, Mormon tells us that the eyes of the people were blinded. Therefore, they hardened their hearts against the words of Abinadi. And it reminded me last week, we talked about having eyes to see and ears to hear. And really at this time, and in a relatively short time, we have one generation here where these people were no longer striving to have eyes to see. We spoke about the work that it is and the skill that it is to develop that. And now these people, they were just content. They were okay to have their eyes blinded to the things of God and to have their hearts hardened. So this... Um, Abinadi was able to escape at this point, and two years passed. So we're going to move into chapter 12. So this is like the foundation. Abinadi was sent to testify. He did. It reminds me a little bit of what we're taught in at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, how there were prophets sent to Jerusalem to declare unto them that they needed to repent. And so here's Abinadi coming in. He's declaring. And then for two years, we don't see him again. And, he, and and during this whole time, he's in hiding because he knows that the people that King Noah's priests and his leaders, that they like their lifestyle and they are not interested in having Abinadi try to come in and make them feel bad about it or condemn them or maybe even turn the people against them for the way that they are living. Um, we see here in chapter 12, verse, verse 1, The Lord is speaking here and he says, Abinadi, go and prophesy unto this, my people, for they have hardened their hearts against my words. They have repented not. And I right here had a moment of just pure love and admiration for Abinadi because he knows that his life is in danger. He knows that by going to do what the Lord is asking him right now, that This is not an easy thing that's being asked of him, and yet his complete willingness is there. So, Abinadi goes, and he follows what the Lord has asked him to do, despite the danger, despite the fear that he has, and I think it's interesting how in our life we often, not often, but I think, I don't think any of us escape these moments, and we may not be literally facing a situation where Death is on the line, but we, I know I have had times in my life where I have been directed to do something and there was fear connected with what I, what I had been asked to do. And Abinadi lays a beautiful pattern here to move forward in confidence in the Lord. And really regardless of what the outcome is going to be. And so the Lord tells him what he wants him to share And so we see in verses two through eight, more prophecy about the bondage and affliction and more details about what is going to come to pass for these people if they do not turn back away from their um, just seeking after the flesh and the living that they are doing and to turn back to God. And many of these things did he prophesy. And so the people, we see in verse 13 what the people's response is, because he's out among the people. At this point, he is not in the inner court speaking to Noah and his priest directly. He's out among the people, preaching to them and declaring the word of God. But we see in verse 13 that the people were unable or maybe unwilling to see things as they really are, because they say, O king, what great evil hast thou done? Or what great sins have thy people committed that we should be condemned of God or judged of this man? And now, O King, behold, we are guiltless, and thou, O King, has not sinned. Even though Mormon has laid out all of the different things that are happening, we know that he is not living with his life and his focus directed toward God. And so the people are reporting to the king and really getting the king trying to get the king upset with this man that he's sharing all these things and they're really flattering the king of course you're not doing anything wrong you're fine you're totally good we're not sinning you're not sinning it's all this Abinadi's making up all this stuff about you and now you know we need to do something about it and so king Noah he just caused that Abinadi should get put into prison and after a time his priests So remember these are the priests that got brought in they are not following after the lord at this point they are seeking after their own their their own pleasure their own desires and the king noah's priests say bring him hither that we may question him and these priests began to question him and i am sure that they were surprised when Abinadi was answering them boldly and with confidence, because Abinadi knew the word of God. And so he was prepared to be able to speak to it in that moment. And there's there's a, there, there's a pattern there, again, in if we look at Abinadi and his willingness to do the thing for the Lord that he was fearful to do, one of the things that he walked in with, in addition to his faith, he walked in with preparation. He knew the word of God, he had studied it, he was familiar with it, and he lived according to that word, and that prepared him. And as we look at times in our life and situations and circumstances where we're asked to step into something that is uncomfortable, that is unfamiliar, that is fearful, we absolutely take our faith with us. But the great thing is we also get to take our preparation and our experience in with us as well. So in verse 21, they're quizzing Abinadi about scripture, and they quote Isaiah to him. They quote these four verses about Isaiah, and they say, now tell us what this means. And I think that part of that makes me smile because I think that maybe even in that day, Isaiah intimidated people. I don't know. That's just Michelle commentary, but that is the scriptures that they chose. And here is Abinadi's response to them quoting Isaiah and then saying, explain what it is. And for, for reference, I think this is interesting. They're quoting it from what is now Isaiah chapter 52. And Abinadi replies back in verse 27. He says, yet, yet desire thou to know of me what these things mean. So he says, are you priests and pretend to teach these people and to understand the spirit of prophecy, prophesying and yet desire to know of me? What these things mean? Ye have not applied your hearts to understanding. And so Abinadi doesn't even answer them because he's thinking to the priest, why do you need for me to explain this to you? You are men of God. You are here to teach the people and you don't know and understand what this is. Why do you need for me to explain that? And one of the things that I wanted to to linger for just a moment here is in verse 27. "You, Ye have not applied your hearts to understanding. And it made me think about the different ways that we come to understand things. When we use that phrase understanding, I think a lot of times there is a tendency to think that we understand things with our minds and with our logic. And that, you know, say with our education or coming to just have to understand most anything. I think we initially think of it as being an intellectual or a cognitive exercise. And yet Abinadi is teaching us here that we can apply our hearts to understanding, that there are more ways to understand the things of God than just with our mind. And I know that we understand that, but this was another way of writing it that I thought was really beautiful, that as we are struggling, and I think we all at various times come upon things that we have to wrestle with a little bit in our understanding to remember Abinadi's teaching here to make sure that not only are we applying our minds to what we are learning and wrestling with, but that we also apply our hearts because we're learning something here about how the Lord can teach us. And we're learning something here about how the spirit works with us And that it is a whole person experience, not just our cognitive understanding in mind. And that really stood out to me. We're going to see that point come up again as we're doing this reading. Um, And then he really just starts um, sort of calling them on their hypocrisy, that they are presenting themselves as priests. They're, they're, They're not presenting themselves as just assistants or part of the leadership council of King Noah, they are presenting themselves as priests. And yet they are not living up to what that should be for their people. He says in verse 29, if ye teach the law of Moses, why do ye not keep it? Why do ye set your hearts upon riches? Why do you commit whoredoms and spend your strength with harlots? So he's not holding back. He's telling them exactly what he thinks of them. And he says, "Ye know that I speak the truth and you ought to tremble before God. And so he continues to testify against them. And King Noah in chapter 13, verse one says, away with this fellow and slay him. He's done. He doesn't want to listen to it anymore. And here is where we connect this first verse with one chapter ago at the beginning. Abinadi is not here just because he thinks this is a good idea. Abinadi is not here simply because he has a passion or a commitment for standing up to the authority of the king. He is here on the Lord's errand, and he knows it. And Abinadi understood in this moment that he was being protected so that he could carry out what the Lord wanted him to do. And so he responded with that faith that's born from confidence in knowing that he is on the Lord's errand, and that the Lord is continuing to direct him to finish what he was sent to do and so he says in verse three touch me not for God shall smite you if ye lay your hands upon me for I have not delivered the message with the Lord which the Lord has sent me to deliver and the people of King Noah they durst not lay their hands on him for the spirit of the Lord was upon him they could see it even this King and these priests who were so far removed from the spirit and from the things of God even they could sense and know that they should not reach out against Abinadi at this time. He says in verse 7, Ye see that ye have not power to slay me, therefore I finish my message. And then he says in verse 10, And what you do with me after this shall be a type and shadow of things which are to come. And so Abinadi moves forward confidently. He knows that he's speaking to a hostile audience here. He knows that the more he continues, that he is not bringing himself to a place of deliverance when it comes to his literal safety here. And yet he responds with the confidence of the Lord. We see, and so then what he does is he rehearses the Ten Commandments for them. So he's reviewing the Law of Moses. You say you believe in the Law of Moses, so let me review it for you. Let's go over the Ten Commandments. So we see that in verses 12 through 24. He's reviewing, so in chapter 13, 12 through 24, reviewing the Ten Commandments with them. And then we see that... um He After all of this, so he's establishing the law. He's saying that this is exactly what they are saying that they're teaching. But then he says in verse 28, Salvation doth not come by the law alone, and were it not for the atonement which God himself shall make, for the sins and iniquities of his people, that they must unavoidably perish, notwithstanding the law of Moses. And so Abinadi is teaching that we are not saved by the law that the law of Moses in their day was what they needed to align their life to but it wasn't the liter it wasn't the law that was going to save them but the law turns us to the atonement of Jesus Christ which has the power to save and that is true in our day as we are given commandments and direction and counsel from the prophet it's not the prophet that is going to save us it is not the commandments that are going to save us but the prophet and the commandments And the scriptures will turn us to our Savior who has all power to save. And that feels like such a powerful thing that Abinadi is teaching and really like the core of the why. Why are we doing this? Why are we living the gospel? Why are we aligning our lives with these principles that we are being taught by our prophet? Because all of it is the purpose and all of it is to turn us to the Savior. And so... I have found that when I look at the things in my life and how I make decisions and how I'm applying some of the commandments and counsel and direction in my life, that one way that I can really look and see if it's fulfilling its purpose for me is if the way that I am Focusing on it or the way that I'm implementing it? Is it just to check it off the list, which we've talked about? Those of you who have been with the podcast for a long time will remember Laura and I talking about our checklist. Is this just checking off the list that I'm doing this or is this directing me to the Savior? Am I allowing this? Am I learning with my heart? Do I have eyes to see that this is directing me to the Savior? So we see in verse 32 um i again this comes up so perfect timing he says nay they did not all understand the law and this because of the hardness of their hearts for they understood not that there could not any man be saved except it were through the redemption of god so again they're not understanding the priests are not understanding and we're hearing here because of the hardness of their hearts and there's something really personal and intimate there there's some there's a key component here that we're learning that will bring us to the savior that will allow us to understand and that is our heart that our heart is a huge part of this process in verse 34 he begins testifying and prophesying of Jesus Christ and he teaches them in verse 34 god himself should come down among the children of men and take upon him the form of man And go forth in mighty power upon the face of the earth. And then he quotes Isaiah to them. And I have to just be, I I don't know if now is the right time, but I just have to think, okay. It wasn't very long ago, about a chapter ago, that the priests were quoting him a couple verses, four verses in Isaiah and asking him to explain it. And now... And this was after they had sort of prepared how they wanted to talk with him. And now Abinadi, testifying boldly of the Savior, quotes Isaiah right back to them. And this is a messianic prophecy in its entirety. And it's quoted by memory, while he is standing prisoner before these guards. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sure there were guards there. Before the guards, the priests, the king. And it is... Our modern day Isaiah fifty three, and the and so these twelve verses beautiful and the whole thing is about the Savior. So you can see that Abinadi is really guiding them. Number one, you're not even aligning with the law of Moses. So that's the first step. As you align with the law of Moses, you're going to see that the whole purpose of the law is not just to obey the law for the law's sake, but to turn yourself to Christ. And let me tell you about this man, Jesus Christ, our elder brother, our Savior, our Redeemer let me tell you about him and why this matters. So he begins in verse three of chapter 14, speaking of the savior, he has despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. He goes on to share he was oppressed and he was afflicted. He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his death. In verse 11 he shall see the travail he shall see the travail of his soul meaning God shall see it of, of his son and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So he shares this, and then in chapter 15, he begins to break it down. What did we just read? And I'm going to testify to you that it's true. And so Abinadi shares in verse 1, I would that ye should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. Um, And then in verse five, um, speaking about the about the Savior coming down, that the flesh becoming subject to the spirit. And that really stood out to me as I was reading it this time, thinking, is this not what we are here to do? Learning how to have our flesh become subject to our spirit. And We've touched upon this before, but here's just another reminder. This is part of the process for why we are here on this earth. Um, And then it goes on to describe that um, our Savior suffereth himself to be mocked and scourged and cast out and disowned by his people after working many mighty miracles among the children of men. And that suffereth himself, I think, is so important to remind ourselves that the Savior yielded to this. You know, he had the power to remove himself from these circumstances from these people who did not recognize him for who he was, but he yielded to it and he allowed the process to unfold. Um, In verse 7 of chapter 15, he shall be led, crucified, and slain, the flesh becoming subject even unto death, the will of the Son being swallowed up in the will of the Father. Thus God, breaking the bands of death, having gained the victory over death, giving the Son power to make intercession for the children of men, having the bowels of mercy being filled with compassion towards the children of men, standing betwixt them and justice. How amazing is this? Like, amen, hallelujah. Like, honestly, I just feel so much love and gratitude for my Savior as I read this. For he, having redeemed them, satisfied the demands of justice. So then we see in chapter 15, we have like in verses 11 through 12 and 14 and 15, Abinadiah is teaching about those who will inherit with the Savior, which feels incredible to even comprehend for as amazing and just perfect as our brother is that we have been given because of his sacrifice, because of his tremendous love for us. He invites us to inherit with him. And these are some of the qualities or the characteristics that we are going to see for those that have that privilege and that and that choose that for themselves. So we see starting in verse 11, all those who have hearkened unto the words of the prophets and believed that the Lord would redeem his people. They are the heirs of the kingdom of God. Verse 12, for these are they whose sins he has borne. So we know that the atonement covers all who would turn to him. And so when he says that it covers those whose sins he has borne, it's those who are willing to accept the atonement as a covering for their sins. Verse 14, these are they who have published peace, who have brought good tidings of good Verse 17, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who shall hereafter publish peace. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate source of peace. So when we publish peace, we are preaching and teaching and testifying and rejoicing and celebrating Jesus Christ because he is peace. That is that is where peace comes from. He is the source of peace, and so when we say, "How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who shall hereafter publish peace," that those are indelibly connected, and that we have this privilege and this opportunity to share that light and that peace with the world, and how beautiful that is. Okay, so now Abinadi is teaching about the world to come. And he's teaching about what this does, what the Savior, what Christ has done and how that affects all of us. And really, one of the things that I love is that it still goes on like this. This part of Abinadi's teaching really reminds us that agency is non-negotiable. Agency is inherent. We inherently have the ability to choose what we want for ourselves. So, um, the universal gift that we have of the resurrection in chapter fifteen, verse twenty: the bands of death shall be broken, and the sun reigneth, and hath power over dead, over the dead. Okay, verse twenty-two: the resurrection of all the prophets and all those who have believed in their words, or all those that have kept the commandments of God shall come forth in the first resurrection. Therefore, they are the first resurrection. And I thought that was interesting. Oh, I'm going to actually continue reading and then I'll come back to it. And they that have died before Christ came, so I'm in verse 24, in their ignorance, not having salvation declared unto them. And thus the Lord bringeth about the restoration of these, and they have a part in the first resurrection, or have eternal life being redeemed by the Lord. And little children also have eternal life. And I love how There is not a hierarchy here between all of these people, the prophets, those that are keeping the commandments and following the prophets and directing their focus to the Savior, those who never had the opportunity in this life to make that direction, but want to use their agency to choose that when it becomes available to them and little children, that all are part of the first resurrection. There is not... I think the phrase that came to me is that the Lord is no respecter of persons, that we are all alike unto him, those who turn and choose him and choose his son. Um, And then we see in verse 26 um, that there will be some that have willfully rebelled against God, that have known the commandments of God and would not keep them these are they that have no part in the first resurrection so there's a distinction and we often struggle i think against feelings of not being enough or not doing enough Um, particularly in the culture of the church i have noticed that that's very common it's a really common thread but i want to point out here and i think that this verse does a really good job of distinguishing it that there is a that there is a difference and we need to make this distinction And make sure as we're making assessments that we're recognizing the difference between falling short of where we would like to be on one hand and willfully rebelling on the other hand. And those are very different from each other. And because of our mortal natures, each one of us will fall short. That is in large part why we have a savior Because this was known, this was a known and understood principle that that is inherent in part of being here in this mortal life with a veil, with a veiled body that would not allow us to understand properly the things of God. And that as we fall short, that that is what the atonement is for, and that that is inherently very different from willfully rebelling against God. So I thought that that was important to note. Then we see a little bit of a shift here in verse 29. Abinadi says, Yea, Lord, they, thy watchmen shall lift up their voice, with the voice together they shall sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion, for the Lord hath comforted his people. And so he's also sharing with us that, you know, we have this to look forward to, looking forward to Zion and Christ's return. And the and also a reminder, he's talking about the watchmen shall lift up their voice and they will see the Lord bringing Zion. And a watchman is someone who is actively looking. If I picture say a watchman, maybe in the forest, maybe someone is on, on the lookout for forest fires. A watchman is not going to have his first sign be that the tower he is standing on has caught on fire. He is going to be looking and searching and watching. And that—that that is, in—in in my mind, in some ways, an invitation that is being extended to us here. We've been invited, if we would so like to, to be watchmen and to participate in the joy and the anticipation and um, the peace that is being communicated here in this in this section of verses. So, we move on to chapter sixteen, and Abinadi is finishing his teachings here, and he says in verse 5 of chapter 16, He that persists in his own carnal nature and goes on in the ways of sin and rebellion against God remaineth in his fallen state, and the devil hath all power over him. Therefore, he is as though there was no redemption made. So in the end, we have what we desire, and our agency is intact. So remember how we talked about That agency is inherent, that there's something fundamental about it. And even in this, even in the end, even in being cleansed and made whole through the atonement, even here, our agency is intact, whether we would choose to have that be a part of us, to have a part in that, to be part of the Savior is our choice. In verse 8, There is a resurrection, therefore the grave hath no victory, and the sting of death is swallowed up in Christ. He is the light and the life of the world, yea, a light that is endless, that can never be darkened. And this, brothers and sisters, is hope. This verse right here, Mosiah 16, verse 8 and 9, this is hope. Our Savior is our hope, and I have experienced this in my life. And he is the source of light. He is that which chases away darkness. He is the reason why death is overcome. He is the reason why all of the falling short is not nearly as consequential, almost inconsequential compared to the choice that we make to turn to him and follow him. So now Abinadi has said all that he needed to say. And some of the people are touched by it. And the first one that we're going to be introduced here is Alma. And Alma is one of the um, priests of King Noah. And we see in in chapter 17, verse 2, that he believed the words which Abinadi had spoken. And he began to plead with the king that he would not be angry with Abinadi and to suffer to let him depart in peace. But you can imagine King Noah was not happy with this and he caused that Alma should be cast out. And then he sent servants to slay him and Alma ran. He fled before them and he hid himself so that he could not be found. And as he hid for many days, he began to write and document all the things that Abinadi had taught. And so here we're introduced to Alma, who is going to be a key key player here in chapters moving forward. And... What a different and yet equally beautiful example of faith that Alma has. Here we have a Abinadi as a prophet, and Alma about to be a prophet here that we will be meeting and starting in different places, coming from different backgrounds, and yet each we will see as Alma's life is unfolded, each able to turn people to the Savior, and I uh, like in, in many ways, this reminds me of when we were just studying in the New Testament with Paul. You know, Paul and all of his background, and yet the Lord can use us regardless of what mistakes and where we have been before. So we learned here some things about Alma. He's humble, he's willing to understand with his heart, and he followed his convictions to action to defend and stand up for Abinadi. So after this, after this whole debacle with Alma running out of the court and him and Noah sending guards after them, the king caused that the guards should surround Abinadi and put him in prison. So for three days, he sits in prison after this, and then they bring Abinadi back. And King Noah tells Abinadi, we have found this accusation against thee and thou art worthy of death. And for this cause, thou shalt be put to death unless thou wilt recall all the words which thou hast spoken evil concerning me and my people. So he's giving Abinadi an out. Basically, if you say that all of this stuff that you said about us and about God coming down to be among his people and all of these things, if you just say that none of it's true, then you can leave. And... To me, this says something about Noah that he really didn't want to kill Abinadi. I, I think that there's some hints in some of these verses that the king, there were moments when he felt like maybe this was true. And in fact, and so here's Abinadi's response. He says in verse 9 of 17, I will not recall the words which I have spoken unto you concerning this people, for they are true. And if he slay me, ye will shed innocent blood. And this shall also stand as a testimony against you at the last day. And Noah was about to release him. So we see here that Noah, he's thinking maybe this, maybe it's not worth the risk. Maybe, maybe uh, the judgments of God are going to come upon me if I do this. But the priests, these men that he put in place to support the riotous living that he was interested in, the priest said, he has reviled the king and this stirred the king up into more anger against him and he commanded that he be slain. And while he is, while Abinadiah is strapped down and preparing to die, he prophesies in verses 15 through 19 about the, about the coming chapters, about what is yet to come for Noah and the priests and his people. And we end with... And now when Abinadi had said these words, he fell, having suffered death by fire, yea, having been put to death because he would not deny the commandments of God, having sealed the truth of his word by his death. And, you know, many of us, there's a lot of good to look forward to here. So many lives were significantly changed and the rippling effect of Abinadi you know he he was able to share and to testify and then his life was taken so quickly after that and yet really if we look at it it was one man it was Alma Alma was the one who was able to understand the truth and to recognize it for what it is to see things as they really are and when you take a step back and look at the rippling effect in the next chapters of all that was accomplished because of Abinadi's incredible courage, conviction, and faith. It really is um, very like sobering, but also brings a great feeling of reverence. That when the Lord asks us to step up and to do something, in that moment, it may not seem like we have accomplished very much. But truly, we do not know the rippling effects of the one person that has been touched, or that a circumstance has shifted, or who the Lord was able to teach in that moment. And I am thankful that although most of us do not have the the heavy, heavy responsibility that Abinadi had to preach with his life in literal danger, that we do have the opportunity to see things as they really are, to invite revelation in our life, and to act on that revelation and so rather than being asked to seal the truth of our words by our death, we we have the opportunity to seal them with our life. And so I'm thankful that we got to spend some time with Abinadi and then with our emerging prophet Alma here in these chapters, and we will continue on again. Um, Again, you can find me, um, the show does have an Instagram page. I'm not, I don't spend a lot of time on the show's Instagram page other than updating when an episode drops, so that would be um, at Step Into Light Podcast. Um, I do update my personal Instagram with uplifting thoughts and ideas and different things that come up there, and that is um, Michelle's Muse that you can find me there. So until next week, I will see you then.